Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, a major industrial warehouse developer purchases land near John C. Monroe International Airport. Professional medical staff at West Lincoln Memorial Hospital are speaking out against a proposal that essentially shut down the hospital. And did Doug Ford try to sweep a sexual scandal under the rug? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Good news for Hamilton, especially from an economic development standpoint. An international developer of industrial warehouse space has purchased about 82 acres of land up near Hamilton Airport, John C. Monroe International Airport. Uh, This is a a long time coming, I'll tell you. Uh, For a long time, staff and council have been working to get this happening. It looks as if finally uh, we've got some movement on this. Glenn Norton is the Director of Economic Development for the City of Hamilton. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, bring us up to speed on this. Glenn, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Let's do a little background here, just so you can, for the sake of our listeners here, exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the airport industrial lands. So this is an area of 555 hectares that surround the airport um, that has been zoned, pre-zoned, and is available. um, Some of it is still not serviced, but much of it is for light industrial, uh, transportation, logistics, things that would benefit from being located close to an international airport that has, uh, you know, 24-7 access. Well, and and this was a dream for an awful lot of people uh, in the Economic Development Department, of course, uh, Neil Everson when he was running the department, and yourself and so many others. Uh, I don't want to go through the politics of this, Glenn. Let's just say you had to go through some hoops over the years, didn't you, Uh, vis-a-vis OMB hearings and public (laughs) meetings and a lot of stuff. You finally got it settled, and this this was the vision, I think, that, that you had at that time, wasn't it? Yes, it is. The, the vision is that it would be companies that are located there because of its proximity to the airport, not companies that could be in just any old industrial park. Um, and, I mean, we do have other industrial land. We have parks across the city. But we thought for this one, let's go for the prestige things that really benefit from and capitalize on an asset that we have that not every city has. And, and that's what's happening with this development, uh, which is the sort of the first uh, major one. That's exactly what's happening, Bill. Well, and for people that want to picture this in their mind's eye, I mean, just go by Pearson Airport. I mean, if you drive along any of the airport road or any of the roads around the airport, you will see exactly what you're envisioning and what we're talking about here. Uh, industrial lands, uh, you know, warehousing space, uh, head offices in some case, I guess, uh, for some of these areas. And that's all tax revenue for the city, isn't it? Absolutely it is. This is this is big in terms of moving some of that burden that is currently on our residential taxpayers, so renters and homeowners, and moving it over to the commercial industrial sector. That That's a big deal for us. And when you think about what this means just in terms of development charges, uh, which is what we use to build more infrastructure in the future, this is about a $12 million shot in the arm just for our, our development charges. And then you've got, of course, the construction jobs that will come of this while they're building it, and then the new employees that they'll need to operate this thing, then the taxes that they'll pay. So in, in all those respects, it's, it's a good news story. Um, the second aspect of it that I like is that it sets an example for others that who may follow this company and say, huh, what do they know about Hamilton that I don't? I think I should take a second look at that city. I remember having a discussion with uh, Mayor Hazel McCallion when she was still running the city of Mississauga. 
And and she told us at the time, she said the biggest advantage Mississauga has is that we just happen to have the biggest airport in Canada right there, and, and that's our tax generator, right? and that's and it's happening. But she says the bad news is we're maxed out here. There's not much else going to go on up here, and they're going to be looking to Hamilton. So uh, th- that's one of the reasons why this, this was such an important uh, project for the city to go forward on. Uh, and and to get this thing going because this is what we needed to get done here and, and to attract those businesses are going to generate the tax revenue, and this is not a bad first start. Talk to us about who these people are, Panatoni Development. Yep. So their um, their closest office to us is in the GTA. Uh, they are one of the largest sort of internationally that specializes in this work. Um, they have clients all across the world, and and they represent brands. Um, as, as their clients that everybody would recognize. So, you know, Coca-Cola, Amazon, Wayfair, Canadian Tire, Shoppers Drug Mart, the companies that are big in uh, retail sales and need to get their product either onto the shelves or into the people's home in very short order. So they have, you know, a very good track record. Um, they know what they're doing, and they did their due diligence before they uh, selected Hamilton. So, you know, uh, a very good partner, and we're looking forward to growing that relationship with them. You know, they've said this this won't be the last thing we do in Hamilton. We've already got our thoughts on a couple of other buildings for that area. So we're very uh, very grateful that they're looking at Hamilton for their investment, and we think there's a great long-term partnership here. I guess it doesn't hurt that we've got uh, the busiest cargo airport in the country. I mean, uh, John C. Monroe Airport, I mean, we've talked about some of the challenges with passenger traffic, but even that's getting better. But the cargo uh, element of the airport has always been significant. Yes, and particularly the overnight express aspect of that bill, right? So planes landing and, uh, you know, taking off in the early hours of the morning, dropping off stuff that will then go into trucks and be distributed throughout uh, the GTHA area. So you're absolutely correct. It was one of the key factors for them, the ability to get land and put up a structure that would have runway access. Yeah, is, is absolutely critical to make this kind of a, a distribution center work. Well, let's connect the dots here because we've talked about some of the changes that have gone on in the economy in the last little while, and, and it's obvious, I think, to everybody, Glenn, uh, you and I have talked about this in the past, about online shopping and, and the way that it's taking over. Uh, it's it's not there yet, but it's growing and growing and growing. And, of course, if you're going to do online shopping, you need warehousing and you need transportation, and it just seems as if we're a perfect fit for what those companies will be looking for. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. And it's not just um, the fact that we have an airport, although that's very big and it's, you know, 24-7 and we own it. So that's a great uh, plus on our side. But we're also a very multimodal city. When you think about uh, things that might have to be shipped by water, well, guess what? We have the busiest port on the Canadian side of the Great Lakes. We have connection through the 400 series highways, 45 minutes to the U.S., the you know number one border crossing point uh, in the Canadian-U.S. border is 45 minutes away from us. Um, you can be into Toronto, the largest retail market in Canada, in 45 minutes. And then we've got the two train systems, CN and CP, that both go through the city. So, you know, it's when we're out there talking to companies, um, both nationally and internationally, uh, front and center for us is saying what a multimodal uh, transportation city uh, Hamilton is. And it seems as if uh, the work that the city staff have done in the past has really set the set the table for this. I mean, I think you mentioned right off the top, the zoning's already in place here. It's, it's not as if these guys are going to have a whole lot of challenges. Uh, is this the part of the land that is serviced already, Glenn? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and as we said, uh, I anticipate they could begin with their site plan application. I mean, this has been working in the background for a while. Uh, as you can appreciate, we've been working on this for a lot of months. So probably by the end of November, they'll have their site plan application in. 
and uh, they hope to be in the ground uh, starting next spring, and the entire project of 1 million square feet will take about 15 months to construct. Now let's talk about, as you said, some of the, the, the benefits of this and what may happen, and you, you want this to be the first of, of many uh, different applications right now. What, what are we looking at for the other lands here right now? Is, is it similar developers or folks? Because uh, these guys aren't building stuff that's actually going to be used. I mean, Panatone is actually going to bring some of these other companies in. That's, that's their long-term goal here, isn't it? Though that's correct. Yes, it is. We, we think that part of the supply chain will move with them. Um, there's not, uh, you know, to be honest, there's not a whole lot that we, we can point to with certainty that will follow it. But this gives us uh, much more optimist, uh, optimism that there will be more following it, right? So at any one time, we're probably pursuing four or five uh, active leads um, that would be uh, good tenants and, and good companies for Hamilton up in that area. So we think, you know, this sort of is a bit of a tipping point because people will recognize the name Panatoni when they they see what goes on and they recognize the size of this investment dollar-wise. Again, it causes you to say, hmm, what do they know that I don't? I think I'd better take a look at those lands up near the airport in Hamilton. Now, are they going to be a partner in trying to attract some of those companies here since they've already got those connections? Well, uh, I would suggest yes. Um, I can't speak for them, but... uh, you know, they have been good to work with so far, and I don't know of any reason why they would not want to uh, work with us because, uh, you know, our success uh, will be part of their success in terms of growing their client base. Well, and one of the other concerns that the city's had for the longest time, of course, is the other side of the airport, the Highway 6 extension that was built some years ago, and it's wonderful, but there were some logistical issues there because of Greenbelt, et cetera, but uh, the possibility of development. But uh, that's why the, the tract of land that you're talking about right now is of so much more importance uh, because there is so much potential here. Uh, right by the airport, and and obviously, as we say, with uh, with Pearson Airport maxed out, and and these places looking for homes right now, uh, I don't see too many other alternatives for them except to start knocking on your door, Glenn. Well, yeah, I, um, <laughs> that's very positive. Uh, there there are some alternatives, you know. To be honest, Pearson isn't quite maxed out yet. There is still uh, some potential there, so we never want to sort of discount that as a competitor. Um, there are other communities like KW, Guelph, Pickering, uh, you know, around the GTA that have an airport. Uh, we think our business case is the most compelling one, um, but we never get uh, too complacent with that. Um, and the fact that it's taken us this long to get a major company uh, suggests that, you know, our uh, optimism uh, needs to remain in check and that we need to keep uh, keep pushing hard. We're, we certainly won't be sitting back and saying, woohoo, we've made it, let's take it easy. Uh, not the case at all. Uh, we will be pushing just as hard or harder as we have been over the last few years. What do you need from City Council here since the zoning and everything else is in place? Is this a rubber stamp or is this, uh, is this an issue that, that still needs to be flushed out? No, so for this particular development bill, there's, there's no approval uh, from City Council uh, that's required because the, the zoning is there. I mean, it'll work through the normal approvals process through the uh, development engineering group, the site plan approval, through the building department for their building permit. So, I mean, it, this one will carry on. Um, the only other time we would need to come back to Council is if we wish to change any zone on any parcel to accommodate any particular um, company or if we needed to acquire more land. Um, but, you know, quite frankly, I think uh, there's land in the hands of the private sector, and I think the private sector is going to get more active um, in developing lands they hold. We, we do need to get servicing to parcels that aren't serviced. Um, not even half of the 555 hectares is currently serviced. So there will be a big push on, and we need to 
probably make a pretty significant investment in uh, wastewater and water infrastructure so that those parcels of land on the other side of the airport can get servicing. Um, so that's the kind of thing we'll be back to council for. And, and quite frankly, we've got a great working relationship with them. And, and they're very pro-development, uh, pro-growth uh, in the city. So I don't anticipate that will be um, much of an uphill battle at all. The the water and wastewater situation that you just referred to, I mean, that's been on the city's radar for quite some time, though, hasn't it? Simply because of the anticipated development that was going to happen there. Yes, it has. And, and in, in fairness to, to them, there are other competing priorities within the city um, where development was, was clearly going to happen. And so they've been focused on getting um, servicing into those areas um, for some of the residential as well. Um, this now sort of will be the final piece that says, so it is real, it is happening. Uh, the investment now should happen and should be an accelerated uh, basis going forward. There's always a, co- a concern over cost, though, when you start talking about doing major projects like that. But this, I guess you, you need to look at as an investment more than anything else, Glenn, because you're going to get this money back. Whatever the city has to invest in, in building that infrastructure, they're going to get back through development charges once the, the other people come in and start developing the land that they've already serviced. No, exactly. As you called it, Bill, it's a, it's a long-term investment. You invest the money up front now, and uh, you reap the benefits for the next, you know, decades and generations to come. A quick note here, just while I got you here, because I, I was somebody listening to a conversation here, and a guy named Gary, uh, Gary, appreciate your email here, bkelly900chml.com, says, wonderful news, but what about all that equity land down in the north end of the city? I guess he's referring to the Stelco lands. Have you got any update on that, Glenn? So, um, yeah, and, 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 and Gary's correct in that uh, th- that was the sort of the biggest um, discussion that happened when we were trying to form the AEGD was, okay, do you need to go on to Greenfield when there's still Brownfield? Yeah, yeah. Part of the answer to that and why they proceeded with this is those Brownfield lands are highly carved up. So these guys have 80 acres or purchase 80 acres because they need 80 acres. Um, to find 80 acres down in the north end is <laughs> would be... Almost impossible. The only place where it could possibly be is on the surplus Stelco lands. And uh, Stelco itself, as you're probably aware, has uh, repurchased from the receiver all the land down there. And they are keen to develop it. And they have put their own development team in place. They've hired a vice president of development. And they have consultants working as we speak to figure out what is the best way to move forward on that land. Um, The problem for uh, these people, or wouldn't call it a problem, but the opportunity for Panatoni uh, was that the airport was there. They need the airport. Yeah. The warehousing where you can unload from a plane right into the warehouse, not go to trucks first and be truck into an airport, cutting out that one step saves time and money. And that's everything in the parcel delivery business. So um, we are certainly keen to develop the North End, and we're working closely with Stelco. Uh, they're being uh, good partners with us, and I think you're going to see stuff happen there, but it's probably a, a year or so away, uh, at least because you've got some infrastructure to put in there, too, once you figured out uh, your site plan. Well, and I know that there's a feeling in some circles at City Hall that they kind of got the rug pulled out from under them by the previous government when the announcement was made that Stelco was going to be able to buy the lands back. But I, I guess if you're going to be a glasses-half-full sort of uh, a guy, Glenn, you could look at this as potentially a win-win. Obviously, we can develop these lands up by the airport, and Stelco's going to come in with their plan, and, and obviously if there's going to be development there, that can be a win for the city as well. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, the decision was made, so uh, we're just rolling with it and saying, okay, we, we had a different view. It didn't happen. That's fine. But the alternative isn't so bad either. And, you know, the meetings I've had with Stelco have been very positive. 
Uh, they are very keen. They're not looking to land bank to sit on this for a long time. They would like to get tenants and industry in, you know, as quickly as possible. It makes great sense for them as well on their business model. So um, we're, we're optimistic, and uh, I think you're going to see things happening there. Well, a good news story for the active department and for the city of Hamilton. Glenn, thanks as always. Appreciate the time today. Well, thank you, Bill. My pleasure. Glenn Norton, who is the Development of Economic Development for the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, well, the uh, woes and the angst continue in West Lincoln. Uh, Wes, we all worry about uh, the future, of course, of what's going to happen with West Lincoln Memorial Hospital. Uh, we brought that story to you a couple of weeks ago where there uh, seems to have been a, a boat face about uh, the plans for that hospital. Uh, and by the way, there's been a long-standing commitment, Bob, both from the province and, and uh, from others to, to make sure this hospital was going to be whole and was going to get brought up to speed here. Now it looks as if uh, things have changed significantly. Well, the community is fighting back, and of course the staff are fighting back because, uh, well, there's a, a relationship that has been there for quite some time. So to that point, a letter on behalf of the professional medical staff at West Lincoln Memorial Hospital has now been sent to the Premier and to the Health Minister in regards to the proposal that uh, could actually shut the hospital down. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Joan Belair from uh, West Lincoln Memorial Hospital. And, uh, Doctor, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Just how frustrated are you and the staff right now? Well, you know, any time that uh, we find that things are changing that could affect the patients and the care that we provide in our community, um, we get pretty nervous. And I think that... Uh, for sure, we want to uh, continue to work together with Hamilton Health Science as we've done in the past. You know, they've been a very valued uh, partner since we've amalgamated with them in 2014. And I'm hoping that we're going to find a workable solution to keep the services that we have in our hospital to stay in our community. Um, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that will continue. But certainly, I, I think what's really, really important with this as we move forward um, and you know, we've got amazing community support um, and, and, and very grateful for that. Um, but we really need to continue to get that ministry support. And, you know, Sam Oosterhoff, our MPP, has been extremely supportive of, of what we're providing in our, in our community and, um, and, and hopes to continue. Um, but for sure, we need the support of the ministry to uh, support the infrastructure investments so we can continue to provide full scope of care. And, and for sure, um, you know, a clear commitment and an urgent timeline to rebuild because without either one of those, um, then, then we're going to have some difficulties to work towards the future for sure. Well, on the topic of, of commitments, I mean, you've probably got a drawer full of commitments. I mean, since about 2005, they said, yeah, we're going to do this for you. Uh, and there's just been delay after delay after delay. And then the partnership with Hamilton Health Sciences, and you thought, well, that's still going to work out. And then this thing, it, it kind of hits you right between the eyes, doesn't it? Well, you know, we have we've have a fighting attitude, that's for sure, you know, between the rallies that we did in, in the early 2000 um, to in hopes that the, the Liberal government would um, um, actually commit uh, to building our hospital and then having the, the disappointment in 2012 on the speech um, from the throne that the project was cancelled. Um, to, to now having to update new standards and, and working with Hamilton Health Science to, to improve those standards. But again, you know, we, we've got a, a great support. We've, you know, Sam Oosterhoff is, is supporting this for sure, and I'm really hoping that the, the ministry continues to support this and see the value. You know, I, I think what's important is this hospital has been built 
by the community and has been supported by the community. You know, if you think about a community in the hospital, 98% of the family doctors in our community work within the hospital. So of all the family doctors in our subregion here, only two don't have privileges at the hospital. And that is, it is, that is unique. We're supported by internal medicine that do t- uh, tons of call. We've got supported by obstetricians and surgeons. And, you know, this is the epitome of what comprehensive family care is. We provide cradle-to-care, um, you know, um, cradle-to-grave care, um, where we deliver babies. I deliver babies in the hospital. I'm on call for the palliative care team where I provide support for in-home patients who are dying of uh, cancer. I provide inpatient care, and all of us do that. Um, and we also assist in our, in our patient surgeries. Um, and this is, this is the kind of family medicine that b- improves the efficiency. And, and this really prevents that hallway medicine that I know Premier Ford wants to eliminate. Well, and he talked about that often during the campaign. And, and you know, I, I'm looking at your project right now, Doctor, at what, even what was being proposed for West Lincoln Memorial. This, this fits exactly what he was talking about to a T. I mean, if you want to show, hey, this, is, this can be the template, this can be the model for getting rid of hallway medicine and, and for making more effective health care delivery. Absolutely. It's, and the plan right now is, is, was outlined with you and with the Lynn uh, was called Our Healthy Future. Yeah. And I thought it painted a pretty great picture of exactly what this hospital can can and should be doing in the community. It's already doing it, but just you, you need obviously more support and you need to upgrade facilities. We do. We, we need to um, bridge our facilities so we can update some standards in the emergency department. And I'm, I'm sure that we're going to be able to find a workable solution with Hamilton Health Science to do that. You know, certainly all hospitals in Ontario has had to face these changes in standards. You know, the majority of the hospitals in our Ontario province are ones that are older and they just need to be updated and we're, we're you know, um, the same situation. Um, and for sure that does take some money, um, but we definitely have the gumption to work together to move towards that. And, and for sure we need to build a new hospital. We can't continue to patch um, these, uh, these changes. Um, so for sure I'm, I'm really hoping and I, I have no doubt that Sam Oosterhoff is pushing for that as he has been to try and get an urgent timeline and a clear commitment to rebuild as well. You know, there's, a, I guess, maybe a clashing of philosophies here because I know that what, what Hamilton Health Sciences has done here in the city proper of Hamilton, along with St. Joe's, because there's some partnership things going on there too, is specialization. Uh, you know, this hospital is going to do this. This one probably doesn't need to do that, but, you know, you can get this down the street. Uh, and it seems to be working. I mean, there's still some people that are kind of concerned about some of the elements to it, especially uh, at McMaster, just down the road from us here. But that doesn't fit. That model doesn't fit in West Lincoln. That's a, it's a different. You can't put a square pig in a round hole. You you need a, a, a hospital that's going to offer more services. Absolutely, and that's. I, I think this the the vision that Hamilton Health Science had when they amalgamated with us in 2014. You know, we worked together. Actually, I was I was co-chair to looking at what our vision of our hospital was, working closely with Hamilton Health Science and, and meeting with the community members, meeting with our physicians, meeting with, with Hamilton Health Science to look towards what that future means. And they absolutely recognized the value of this unique culture. And they saw this as an opportunity for teaching. You know, we are a very um, strong facility that educate the future family doctors and, and it allows them 
um, for the next generation to invest in their education and their skills. And, and this teaches doctors to invest back into the community, to, to learn to do house calls, to do comprehensive care, um, and, and to truly learn what, how to prevent that hallway medicine, to do the house calls, see them in the hospital, get them out back into home, do the house calls, do deliveries, do, do home care, palliative care. This is what we teach, and Hamilton Health Science saw the value in that. So I have no doubt that because of that, we're going to find a workable solution. There are no bad guys here. I, mean, I don't want people to, to walk away from this discussion thinking, well, Hamilton Health Science has uh, pulled the rug out from these guys. I, I, I Look, they're a good partner. They've done some wonderful things here. And, and I know they will continue to be a good partner with West Lincoln. But at the same time, uh, there's a funding problem here. And, and obviously, when you know the government says there's not enough money, uh, you have to do some things that maybe aren't going to be very palatable. And, and that's why the plan that the consultants came up with here that uh, really has caused all this angst right now uh, is such a shock to an awful lot of people. I mean, you know, talking about moving obstetric services and, uh, and surgical aid out of there for a period of time, that's, that's really gutting the hospital. Well, you know, certainly the proposal that was developed, um, you know, didn't, didn't really, um, we didn't participate in the proposal and neither the medical director or the site lead were asked um, in regards to what this means. Um, and this information was just kind of announced in a general announcement. And for that reason, Dr. Baron, uh, Benson, who was our medical director, resigned. Um, but, you know, certainly recognizing that you know, I, I think what people need to realize is, you know, when you remove services in a very small community, we are very interrelated. You know, the eMERGE department needs anesthesia to support the family doctors that look after patients. You, we have people that can be seriously um, unstable, and anesthesia provides that support. Well, anesthesia is there by family doctors. These are anesthesia family doctors that, that support the surgical and obstetrical department. If that's moved out of the out of the community, there's no jobs for them. They leave the community. Then we can't support the eMERGE docs. We can't support the eMERGE docs. The internal medicine people won't be able to really have a, a reason to stick around. And then inpatient care decreases. So this essentially is that delicate house of cards that's very, very typical that you see in all small community uh, hospitals. We are very, very closely connected. And, and I think that, you know, I, I have no doubt that I'm hoping that the government recognizes that this is the kind of medicine that they um, have supported in, in avoiding that hallway medicine. And I'm really hoping that they'll, they'll be able to help and support us to continue that vision. When we talked uh, with uh, some of your staff a couple of weeks ago about this, though, Doctor, we, they were uh, a little concerned about the fact that there's been no response at all from the, this new provincial government, from the Ministry of Health at that stage. Uh, uh, that's, I guess, the, the, the reason for the letter that you recently sent here, too. Uh, you've got your local MPP on side for this, who happens to be a member of the government, and that's, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but at the same time, it, it'd be awfully instructive, I think, if the minister could respond and say what's going on here and, and tell them exactly what their long-term plans are. Well, I, I think the first step is, is sending, sending them the letter of what we're needing. And I think that um, having them understand um, what we're asking by the physicians that provide the care is, is a first step. And for sure, um, Sam Husterhoff has also been providing them with lots of information. Uh, he even presented 8,000 signed petitions that, quite frankly, was developed within four days um, and presented that to uh, to the Prime Minister. Um, so, you know, I, again, that I'm, I suspect that uh, as we continue to move forward and educate everybody, educate the community, 
um, helping to support and work with Hamilton Health Science and, and moving forward and, and having the minister understand what exactly we're needing um, is, is what we're, you know, we're hoping to uh, get some support with. Well, but you're not even asking the government here to reinvent the wheel. I mean, you've already got a template for them to use here, that, that program called Our Healthy Future, I think pretty much outlines exactly what could and should be done here. So it's not as if there's got a lot of work that needs to be done. You just have to still no. look at, read this exactly. uh, and, and enact this. And you know what? We're all going to be happy if you, exactly. you do that. Exactly. And you know, when you talk about reinventing the wheel, we are the wheel in this community to teach others in other communities what exactly comprehensive care is about. We teach, we teach our students. We teach those family doctors that come back into our community to actually learn what full family health medicine is, which is efficient, compassionate, and very appropriate. And it really supports what Premier Ford is looking for in, me- in medicine. This, uh, when I first heard this some weeks ago, uh, I got to tell you, doctor, it, it reminded me of what happened here in Hamilton back in the late 1990s. Uh, for those who are relatively new to the city, uh, there was a plan put in place by that provincial government to shut down. Well, it was Henderson Hospital up on the mountain. And they weren't going to shut it down, but they were going to close the ER and a couple of other departments, which which sounds eerily similar to what's being proposed with your situation here, which essentially guts the hospital. And, and for all intents and purposes, you may have just shut the door and put the lock on it. And the, the way that the community rose up here in Hamilton, not just the mountain community, but I mean everybody in the city, uh, and 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 just said, look at no, that's wrong. This is this is serving a certain element of this community, and we, we we can't allow this to happen. And it took a little time, and it took a lot of pushing, and a lot of going door to door to get signatures, just like you're doing in West Lincoln now. But the government said you're right, and they've actually not only did they not close it, they've invested it, and now it's of course the Jurevinsky Cancer Center, and they've rebuilt essentially the whole hospital. Right. So there's 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 hope here. Hope springs eternal, I suppose. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We do have great some, some great community support, and, and for anyone that's interested to learn more about it, um, we do have a website called SaveWLMH.ca. And, and, you know, the community, and, and, and I'm sure that the government, as we, we provide them with more and more information, will recognize that um, having local uh, solutions to their health care is affordable, but also very needed. You know, we've, I've got patients in my office in Smithville, that have and need procedures and will not go because it's outside of our community. We have um, elderly people that would have to drive 50 kilometers on a QE and go to a larger facility and, and pay 20 bucks for parking, and they can't do that, and it limits their health care. And that then becomes very expensive health care, where something as preventable as a colonoscopy which could prevent um, and find very early cancers, are not being done by our elderly population because they can't drive down the QE. So I'm, I'm really hoping and recognizing that by showcasing the value of what we do in our community, that I, I no doubt the Hamilton Health Science will continue to work with us. And this is going to showcase to the government how important supporting our hospital will be well, you've done all the homework. As I mentioned, we talked about the Healthy Future Report. We've also uh, as I mentioned about all these approvals we've already got. I mean, the government, since as far back as 2005, said they were going to do this. The Lynn okayed this. Hamilton Health Sciences okayed this. The the only black mark in this whole process, with the way you look at it, Doctor, was that you mentioned that throne speech when they simply said the project's canceled, and they didn't yeah. give much of an explanation. And yeah. that, that had a lot of people shocked. Like, why? Yeah. Where'd that come from? That was 
heartbreaking, heartbreaking for sure. And I'm hoping that this time will be different. You know, we've got some some great support with our uh, Conservative MPP, and Sam Oosterhoff gets it. And I'm hoping that, you know, this time will be different. Well, you need a, yeah, you need a champion. You need some champions at Queen's Park, but you also Absolutely. obviously had to, to get the, the the ministry themselves involved in this and, and mm-hmm. to understand the plan here. And uh, I, I got to congratulate you, the staff as well, uh, Doctor, about what's going on here, and certainly the way the community has rallied around behind this too. Oh, and this, uh, yeah. it's and this this because you, like I say, there's a legitimacy to what you're doing here, and not just for your community, but I think if you look at the whole paradigm of healthcare between Absolutely. Hamilton and St. Catharines, uh, West Lincoln plays a key role here. Absolutely. We really are a petri dish to showcase what comprehensive care can be. And and I believe that if we're given the chance to move forward and to keep our hospital and to build it, this will be a showcase for what community medicine and what family doctors can really do to work together with specialists within our small walls to really develop amazing health care in our community. Well, uh, we'll see just what kind of response you get from this letter, and hopefully it's going to be positive and we can start mm-hmm. uh, rebuilding with what's going on here. Doctor, yeah. thank you so much for the time, and continue good luck. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to interview, Bill. Okay, bye-bye now. Dr. Okay, Joan bye-bye. Belair with the West Lincoln Memorial Hospital. And uh, as uh, Dr. Belair mentioned, go to the webpage if you need to get more information about this. Uh, and, and for those at Queen's Park... This is something you got to do. This is a win-win. This was the other government that did this. You look like heroes if you come in and say, yeah, you know what? We're going to fix this. And it's great for the community. It's not just a political win. It's a win for the community as well. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Queens Park is back to work today after a week off. Uh, And the uh, controversy, of course, about the sexting scandals and the, uh, well, sexual misappropriate conduct that's going on. Uh, still seems to be there, and you got to figure the opposition parties are going to try to stoke those flames. Uh, the Premier right now is facing a growing number of accusations, and not just from the opposition parties, that he's actually trying to sweep this whole thing under the rug. I want to bring Richard Brennan into the conversation. Of course, retired journalist uh, with the Toronto Star, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years. Badger, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Oh, thanks, Bill. It's not unusual for the opposition parties to go after this, but the, you know the how news cycles work. Uh, does this story still have legs? Well, particularly something I just discovered, uh, John Sinclair, the executive director of the Tory caucus, uh, who was also let go, he's lawyered up. And his lawyer's saying the, what they're saying about him, the government and, and others, about why he was let go are absolutely wrong. So, yes, there are more shoes to drop, for sure. Well, there's the other development, which isn't totally related, I guess, to the sexting thing with, uh, with Jim Wilson. Uh, but is uh, all of a sudden we found out the revelation today uh, I think that uh, uh, one of the people in the Ford government, I guess one of his, his, his innermost folks up in the, the chief of staff, uh, was instrumental in getting a, a former Patrick Brown guy fired uh, from the power generating company. And you got to wonder about what's going on there. Well, this is, this is not unexpected. I mean, it's not right, certainly. But it's not unexpected with a with a new government that comes in with the, with the kind of bad feelings between the Brown uh, group and and the Ford gang. So uh, this it really doesn't surprise me. It's it's just basically what happens when you new government comes in that's had really bad relations with the, with the previous in this case their previous conservative uh, opposition party. Well, and that's what's bizarre about this. I mean, you can you would expect 
from a parochial standpoint that they're going to go after liberal staffers or liberal appointees. That 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 happens just as they would, you know, the liberals would if uh, you know they, well, it did happen after they took over from the conservatives. There's always going to be some sort of a house cleaning. But these these are these are PCs fighting against PCs here. Well, it seems to be they they're following their federal cousins in that case. Yeah, because uh, God knows they're they're. They love to fight amongst each other and to, to their own dismay, quite frankly. Uh, what is it about Doug Ford? I mean, you know, it, this is a guy who, you know, obviously he, it was surprising that he won the leadership, but he did. And then he was written off and said, well, there's no way you're ever going to elect him as premier, but there he is in the corner office of Queen's Park. Uh, but he seems to have, for lack of a better expression, a chip on his shoulder. I mean, I talked to somebody who knew and had knowledge of the Ford family. This is uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And they said, what you're going to see here is he's a very vengeful guy. Uh, it's not just political, you know, you, okay, I'm a conservative, you're a liberal. Uh, that, that he, and we saw this, I guess, with Patrick Brown, he's a guy that likes to get even. Well, it says, people are going to uh, say that I'm beating a dead horse here, but uh, it was the same, same way, thing with Harper. It was to get even. Everything was about getting even with people. The media, critics, opposition parties, that's what it was all about. And in this case... Which always just, um, I don't know, I'm dismayed by it because I thought if I was premier, you know, I would think, boy, I'm happy to be here. I'm lucky to be here. Let's let's see what we can do to make this province better. And you know, it may not work, but and it may not be what everybody would like. But that should be your focus. It's not getting even with people or uh, sticking a you know a, a hot poker in their eye. That's not what it's about. But we saw evidence of that right from the beginning. I mean, obviously, what he did with the Toronto City Council, uh, I think you could put under that column uh, what he did about eliminating two regional chair positions that two of his political adversaries were running for, uh, Stephen Del Duca, who was a liberal, and, of course, Patrick Brown. Uh, you put that under that, that same column. I mean, this, this, you know, and there was no explanation to say, well, this is going to make the province better. Or this is going to make our electoral processes better. It was basically to, to try to get back at a couple of guys that he didn't like. Again, I'm going to chalk some of this up to growing pains. Uh, this is here, you got you you touched upon it. Like nobody expected him to be a premier, or very few at the very beginning, at least. And and he's premier now, and he, he's he's going to have to learn to grow into the job. And and every premier I've ever known has had to do that to you know find you know find out basically where the washrooms are and and and, and go from there. So that, that I can chalk a lot of that up to uh, you know somebody who's really trying to learn the ropes here, and he started from scratch. Mm-hmm. But how how would you how would you characterize and how would you evaluate the way he handled the the, the Jim Wilson thing? Well, I, again, I think it's a, it was panic, and panic often sets in for a new government that's having to deal with a very um, sensitive issue like this. And I, you know, they thought they were going to, you know, well, well, let's just throw them a bone, you know, the, you know, the reporters, the public, we'll just throw them a bone, and say that, you know, he's he's got a problem, and uh, he's going to deal with it, and that's all. There's nothing to see here. Well, it, you know that old expression, you know, the cover-up's worse than the crime. Yeah. And and that's that's a perfect. This is an absolute perfect example of that. How. They said one thing, and if they'd come clean to begin with, they wouldn't have, you know, this thing would have been over within a matter of hours. 
I don't think anybody's complaining uh, or, or, or being too critical of, of of how they did this. But Wilson's out of cabinet, and that's it. And and obviously the same sort of thing with Andrew Kimber. Uh, that, uh, this guy's gone. But it, you're right. If the premier had come forward, and by the way, it wasn't even the premier that made the announcement. It was a, a, a memo from his office. Yeah, exactly. But well, if he'd stepped up there and said, "Look, we just found this out. I'm disgusted by this. Uh, we don't tolerate this." He, did, he said this three days later. But I mean, that's that's wordsmithing at that stage. But but to simply say no, there's there was nothing about this. I mean, that's well, it's the thing I find frustrating about this is it's misleading the, not just the media, but it's misleading the public. And when uh, you know when they were finally confronted with that accusation, a lot of them just shrugged their shoulders and said, "Yeah, what? Well, so what? It happens all the time." Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that was dropped on a Friday, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Do you know how many things in my years of reporting of con- uh, contention and and secrecy? were dropped on Friday, you just knew something as particular of a long weekend. And you knew something like that. <clears throat> you just you don't know what it's going to be, but you just know it's going to be something. In this case, it was Jim Wilson. All those years, you never left early on Friday, did you? No. <laughs> no, we didn't, believe me. Because you just knew. Particularly, you know, you know before uh, cell phones were readily available and all that stuff, you just knew something was going to happen. In this case, I think... I really believe they mishandled it. Whether they meant to uh, to, to cover up, I, I'm not quite sure. I just think it was mishandled from the outset, and it just snowballed from there. And I, I believe that that uh, well. Th- now, let me just back up. Both people, uh, Mr. Wilson, in, in a, I th- believe it was an email or a Twitter t- uh, tweet. And uh, also a statement from Andrew Kimber that they're going to seek help for this. Mm-hmm. Help for what? I mean, help for what? Well, that's being stupid. Well, that's that's the that's the concern with a lot of us have here is that you know when you get half truths here, you don't know exactly how to connect the dots, and and I don't think they know either. Well, Jim Wilson, I understand, you know, and we always believe Jim had a problem with uh, with alcohol, and I think that's that's been proven uh, proven out. So in Jim's case, he's going to seek. I understand that, but Kimber, what's he going to seek help for? I'm going to, I'm going to seek help for this. Well, the guy was only married a month ago. I mean, there, you know, I don't know what kind of helps provided for that kind of thing. And the, I'll tell you, when he was in, it wasn't um, uh, Belleville or somewhere, somewhere down there, when he finally, he did a press conference uh, addressing, addressing this issue. I know if I was a reporter, I would have asked him, well, you know, first of all, you did this announcement basically in, in secret. You, you know, nobody was available to respond to it. And, and then you said you brought in this third party. Do we know yet who this third party is? No. No. And I would have said, you know, okay, you, you got, the first thing was done basically in secret. This was, you know, the third party, we don't know who that is. What else are you trying to hide? And that's the question, I think, you know, that's asked of this government, it's asked of many governments. When something like this happens, you don't have to be that cynical to wonder what else is there you're hiding. 
Well, and again, if you want to take them at their word. And, and as you told us when this whole thing broke a couple of days ago, uh, Richard, you know, you, there were stories about I mean, you, we hang around Queens Park long enough, you get stories about everybody. And, and there was stories about Jim Wilson, and maybe he was, you know, having a problem with alcohol. But why did he see, all of a sudden decided to seek treatment just around the same time he was accused of inappropriate sexual behavior? So, well, I mean, what, what's he going for the treatment for? Is it for the alcoholism or for that? Well, we don't know. You know, one, I think in this case, <clears throat> one thing led to the other. Um, I mean, and Jim's, Jim's a, a nice man, he's, and he's a, and I would say, a respected politician. But Very much so, yeah, <laughs> but, by, by everybody at Queen's Park. <clears throat> pardon me, but he has his problems. And I think they're legitimate problems. But every time somebody gets in a jackpot now, I'm seeking help for it. Well, what? <laughs> seeking help for what? Well, it's it's the out that that some of them use to oh, try to, to deflect. That's what I'm saying. You know, that's that's exactly. It's a it's a lame out for people that find themselves you know in a jackpot. I mean, th- this is a serious charge. I mean. You know, inappropriate sexual behavior, make, making a pass or advance, whatever happened, we don't know. Probably never going to find out. And and then, obviously, with what Kimber did about sending texts, we're told to a number of MPPs, female MPPs. Uh, and, and for the, 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 the premier to finally come out after a couple of days and say, we're investigating it, but we're not telling you who's doing the investigation. Uh, we're not going to even tell you what the results of the investigation are. So why are you even bothering to do an investigation then? Where's, where's the, uh, well, I'll, I'll use the word that Mr. Ford loved to use during the campaign. Where is the transparency? Well, uh, this party and many others have found themselves in, in this uh, corner. I, if you recall, the NDP uh, was senior advisor during the campaign when, when he uh, worked out in Winnipeg mm-hmm. was accused of not dealing with uh, an alleged sexual uh, misconduct properly. Not that he was involved in it, but he was the boss and didn't deal with it properly. Who investigated that? We never did hear that, as far as I know. No. It's, it's, it's one of these things that, that people love to just dismiss and say, well, come on, they all do this. And I've seen the stuff on social media, I'm sure you have too, that, well, come on, they, you, know, you know what McGinty did, you know what Wynn did. Yeah, we do. And we talked about this, and you wrote about it, and I talked about this, and they're gone. And that was one of the reasons why, because of a lack of transparency. That's exactly right. But we were promised during this election campaign, you know what, things are going to be different if you elect me. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm not going to be the. I'll be covering things up. I'm going to be open and clear and transparent. Well, you know, if this is a, a, an example of what we're in for, it's it's like that song from the Who: "Meet the new boss, same as the old boss." Well, I've always said, and a lot of people accuse me of being cynical for saying for saying such, but you know, I find all governments are the same. They're just basically different shades of gray. When they when it comes down to it, they all experience the same problem. They all try and they try try and hide things from the public, which they've all done. And I could cite chapter and verse there. So, it, and it doesn't make it right. I mean, when is a government of any stripe? I don't care which government it is going to learn that if you're not truthful with people, if you aren't transparent, if you try to pull pull the wool over their eyes, and you're up to no good, you're going to be found out sooner or later. But I've yet to see a government that's finally realized that. 
And it's, it's just it's not going to lead to these guys getting tossed out. I mean, they've got a long mandate left oh, to go. No. But governments that do this on a continual basis, you start racking these things up one after another. And no one thing is, is that big. But the cumulative effect after a while, the public just says, you know what, we've had enough of you guys. And they're not there yet. But, oh, oh, but, no, but no, you know what? still early days. Yeah, but, you know, they open that door, and they, they've got a chance to re- redeem themselves, and they're not doing a very good job of it so far. Well, they've got a long way to go. So they can certainly clean up their act and, 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 and you know, get the rubber back on the road. Hope There's so. No question of that. I mean, we've got a long way to go. Hope so. Richard, thanks as always. Appreciate the time okay, today. Bill, take it easy. It's uh, Richard Brennan, of course, who did Queen's Park uh, for the Toronto Star for many, many years. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.